the metronome. That's funny. Okay. We are recording. We're going to do some clapping as well. Right. How do I look? Looking good. Okay. Yeah, phone looks great. Okay. I think, I think we're good. Yeah, as long as you're in center frame, I can zoom. Don't worry about the zoom. Such a noob. Oh god, alright. <laughs> what happened? Oh god. <laughs> I'm already having technical difficulties. <laughs> yes, the technical difficulties. And then the last camera. That's alright. Remember, this is a test run. Oh no, this is going online. <laughs> alright, in front of the camera. Clap. Cool, we are good to go. Cool. Oh, headphones. Just to make sure. Yeah. How are we sounding? And we're live. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, let's let's do this thing. Actually, ah, oh my God, fuck my shoulder. Yeah, don't hurt yourself. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Okay, at least crack that so we can smoke a split. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> first podcast. Yeah, first podcast. <laughs> the dialectic. Uh, should we do introductions? <laughs> um, sure. Brief introductions. <laughs> I didn't plan on that, but uh, <laughs> I guess I guess that makes sense. Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. Greg Jackson uh, went to school for philosophy, and yeah, with an undergrad, well, with a minor in psychology. So I kind of studied both a little bit, and haven't been able to use it <laughs> since college. So this should be fun. <laughs> Well, Greg's one of the smartest people that I've ever met. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> uh, you are, and, and your love of philosophy was always one of the first things that drew me to you. Yeah, and went to U of O for that. Yeah, and U of O had a pretty good philosophy course and curriculum. And then have you, what have you read since then? Oh, God. I don't know. Lots of stuff. <laughs> right on. Lots and lots of stuff. But not as much philosophy since college, actually, though. I mean, mm. yeah, admittedly. So it's kind of good to do this to get a refresher. Get back into it. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be good. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, Royston Dunn. I am uh, 39 from Massachusetts and um, dropped out of college. Artist, musician, creator, vagabond. Now perpetual dirt bag. It's somewhat homeless individual living in my van. But um, <laughs> homeless by choice. Homeless by choice, and it allows for uh, lots of reading and thinking. And um, we got into philosophy probably. Actually, you know, when we were growing out in Dexter, that's when I pretty heavily got into it. I started listening to philosophy podcasts and I started reading like actual philosophy texts and I fucking battled with that shit and, <laughs> until it started making sense. And so that, that was what, like four years ago, five years ago? Yeah, so, four or five years ago. So I would say it's been four or five years of pretty consistent, solid reading and um, mostly philosophy, but then it also went into um, psychology. And then a huge part of my approach is my metaphysics and my spiritual stuff, as you know. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of my approach is going to be from, well, just a regular philosophical perspective, but also mm. the whole personal growth perspective thing. Um, yeah. And yeah, the point of this YouTube channel is to hopefully simplify some philosophical ideas, which are very complicated, <laughs> uh -huh. and dissect some just regular run-of-the-mill ideas. So. Every episode, we'll pick an idea and just kind of dissect it. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah, using like thought experiments and kind of referencing a bunch of different philosophers and 
and yeah, just get to know ideas a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. I also wanted to mention I'm wearing glasses right now because I have an uncontrollable eye twitch <laughs> and my eye is really puffy and red and I'm embarrassed about it. Uh, either I'm having a stroke or I have a uh, minor eye infection. I haven't figured out which one yet. Or you read too much Hegel. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I think maybe staring at screens is, is a part of it, but um, I might take it off as we go. Right now it's tweaking out, so I'll leave them on for the time being. I might have to go uh, eye patch, and then I'll be a uh, uh, philosopher pirate. I don't know. That, that might be cool. Yeah, yeah, pirate philosopher. I mean, we're going to talk about identity, so I, I think it'd be, <laughs> it'd be cool to maybe think about being a pirate philosopher. Yeah, speaking of identity, I am a pothead. Yeah. Let, let's spark this up. <laughs> There's some things I like to identify as. Yeah, I got a fatty splish here. We're going to spark this up and do some stone philosophy. <laughs> um, but yeah, the topic today is going to be identity. Uh, yeah, which I know is kind of a hot button issue as far as like identity politics is concerned, but we're going to try and attack it from a philosophical lens. It's a big topic. So a little different. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out that your identity is kind of complex. <laughs> There's a lot of things that make your identity. Who would have done identity? <laughs> but let's start with the most basics. Uh, but yeah, the Latin, yeah, identity comes from the Latin for sameness. So hmm. typically identity was used to like identify and differentiate between objects and stuff, but eventually it got adopted into, you know, personal identity. And that's, I think typically how people view identity nowadays is through the personal identity lens, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is, you know, consciousness essentially, but that's even a slightly different topic. I don't think it's more the way you like, you know, discern yourself in public right? and the way you view yourself, I guess, socially, to a certain degree. <laughs> so is that is there a set difference between how other people view you and how you view yourself? I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, so there's a couple different layers there. I know earlier off camera we talked about like these kind of layers to individuality, to being, and kind of the exterior most layer is our outward facing ego layer would that be a good way to think about it yeah yeah it's the you know <laughs> the identity that we want to have the public see us as mm. yeah the one we probably like present to the public the most i would say that's usually probably the, the identity that people assume the most right <laughs> and do you think how much of that is actually the you the, the individual underneath I mean, it just depends on how you identify yourself as... I mean, Hume says, David Hume, famous 18th century Scottish philosopher, he would say that your, your whole identity is like a box, and you, you have all these things that you do throughout the course of your life, and, and the way that you identify yourself, and you just shove them all into this box, and that box eventually becomes you. So, you know, like you identified yourself when we first started this podcast as Vagabond, Rock Climber, right. <laughs> Van Lifer. Those, those are all the various identities got shoved into a box, and then that becomes your identity. Right. And, but I would say, and I think Hume would agree that it's just all illusory, though. It's not really real. Nietzsche would say the same thing, that it's all just kind of a socially constructed illusion. I mean, what really makes a person a person isn't like, yeah, all the random activities they do, but typically it's like who they are, how they act, how they treat people, that kind of stuff. I feel like that's more, that's more of the core essence of a person. <laughs> so it's a weird one. I, we carry these identities so hard too. It's like they become all encompassing and all consuming. And, and then I feel like that becomes fairly problematic. <laughs> So yeah, it's not that they're, it's not that the ego is bad, it's that we take it too far. Yeah, we definitely take these identities too far. Yeah, I mean a good example is like, you know, a Nazi prison guard or something. That's that's taking it to the most extreme version, but yeah, you, you identify as a, <laughs> well, and that, and that one's a slippery slip. 
slope. You identify as German at first, and then, you know, patriotic nationalistic German, and then, <laughs> then all of a sudden you're in part of the Nazi party, and then you identify as a Nazi. <laughs> and, yeah, that's like identity taken way, way too far. Sorry. And then uses the justification for doing some pretty terrible things. Technical difficulties here. <laughs> so wait, let's keep defining it. Yeah, let's keep defining identity indeed. Um, so yeah, there's two versions of identity. There's like the memory theory of identity and there's the body theory of identity. And the memory theory is that, you know, your identity is basically just the laundry list of all your memories that have been collected over the years. Um, the body theory is just that we're in, you know, this one body that's continuous and that contributes to our identity. So these things were delineated over a while. But both of those are true. I mean, I don't know. Let's kind of break them down. I mean, typically the thought experiment for this is the ship with Theseus problem. Make, make sure you're still close to this. Okay. <laughs> you're going a little too far. Uh, I can hear you. Greg's got to get a headphone device before we both have headphones. But in the meantime, I'm going to yell at him to be closer. <laughs> but yeah, the ship with Theseus problem where, you know, you take a ship and you slowly take apart each individual piece of a ship piece by piece board by board and you reconstruct that ship somewhere else and then you slowly replace all the pieces with it with a different ship but it's still identical to the original ship but you also then have a copy of the ship that was made in the original pieces of the ship so which one's the ship right <laughs> and is there it's a continuous transformation so at what point is the old ship now the new ship and is it still the same ship yeah, and this is really the philosophy of identity part where this is, you know, plagued philosophers for a long time, which is like, what makes you you? You know, what makes your identity you? <laughs> yeah, well, I think we figured it out, though, <laughs> uh, which is that it's both. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's a lot of the problems with, like, old school philosophies is they're always trying to, like, draw these distinctions between two things when really there were none, and it's it's more dualistic than that, and it can be both at the same time. You have to be comfortable with the ambiguity and the paradox. <laughs> yeah. So I've talked a lot about the multiplicity and the individual, and that, to me, is part of what's really interesting about identity is we are these specific things. I'm you know, Caucasian, I'm Irish, I'm this, I'm that. Um, and then we're also part of bigger groups, smaller groups, all the way up and down. And those things are useful and they're perhaps necessary so that we can even understand the world at all by putting it into categories. But it's clear that the definitions between the categories are almost impossible to find to define, if you think about waves on an ocean, how do you define one wave from the next? Everything kind of shades into each other. And I think that speaks to the multiplicity aspect of identity. Clearly they shade into each other and it's hard to define the boundaries, yet boundaries have to be defined so that we can make sense of it at all, right? Yeah, it's true. But it becomes a weird thing when it comes to, like, personal identity. Right. We want to claim that we're unique, but the way that, and, like, have our own identity, but by, by doing that, <laughs> you literally can't identify yourself with anything else. So it, it becomes this, <laughs> right. yeah, this perplexing problem. <laughs> but I think the, the interaction with the other is the really essential thing that I think, at least the point that I want to get across is that, identity, and this isn't my idea, but identity isn't decided by you alone. It's negotiated yeah. with others. So what do, you, what do you say about that? What's What comes to mind for you on that? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely negotiated by society. Yeah. <laughs> so, so part of the definition of identity is how it relates to society. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially when it comes to, like, personal identity. Yeah, I mean, Foucault would say that, like, your entire, like, identity, as far as personal identity, is completely a social construction. Like, he thinks it doesn't exist except as a social construction. <laughs> okay, so that aspect of the ego is real but not really real. Yeah. 
there's one sense where it's real because it's emergent and clearly if you do a certain particular group of activities then you are being that thing but it's not real in a very definitive tangible sense and the philosophers have gotten hung up on trying to define what that is <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I mean Nietzsche thinks that identity just is a logical fiction which I'm, I'm inclined to agree with him on that one he thinks it's like socially useful but again it's like fictitious we're just constructing it out of thin air <laughs> mm. right it's not really real but it's still useful yeah but still societally useful I guess right but I'm starting to think it's less and less societally useful. <laughs> now, I still want to get at the role of the individual on <laughs> dictating their identity. Do we decide? Is it all, is it all based on society? Or do, can we... Clearly, we have a little bit of choice in what our, our identity is. Like you said, we kind of create the image that we want others to see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Plus through like free will and then the things that you pursue, those are like, that's what forms your identity. It's like the choices you make every day and then the things you go after, like become your identity eventually. Right. The things you do become you. Yeah. So that would, therefore, identity is real in some sense. Yeah, it's real. But I guess the real question is like whether it's like that useful. <laughs> right. Well, I, as a Buddhist... Should have said that in the beginning, by the way. Yeah, because I guess you're a Buddhist, so you think identity's not even real, well, period, because you don't think, like, really the soul is real, that, like, separation's an illusion, so, like... Yeah, well, in my <coughs> experience, if you pay attention long enough, and if you go looking for the seat of the soul or the seat of your being, you can't find it. I mean, you know that it's kind of somewhere inside you, and generally we think of it being behind our eyes or whatever, but... When you look, it's not actually there. And that's kind of an unsettling thing at first, but I find it immensely useful psychologically and interrelationally because if you're not worried about yourself, there's not much anxiety, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. No self, no problem. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, that's the, uh, the Buddhist understanding is that we live in an illusion and of course it's a helpful illusion and some people need it more than others some people can do away with it completely um, but I would argue all of philosophy and all of this work that we're doing has the effect of dispelling the illusion yeah or at least giving more insight into it <laughs> yeah that's it. that's it that's it not dispelling it it's like uh, <laughs> understanding it and this is the whole thesis for me about identity is the more you understand it the more you can transcend it and then use it rather than it using you yeah i mean people like descartes would say that like identity is completely self-formulated i mean he would say that like like society doesn't matter it's all you your soul is the number one driver of everything and <laughs> and that's what forms your identity <laughs> Well, I know the Hindu tradition talks about your karma and your soul choosing the life that you've let you are living. Um, so there's like some kind of predetermined choice there going on, and um, your soul is acting out this life for a reason, and they would argue that's to perfect the soul. So in that sense, there's this kind of divine individual that's like cycling towards perfection what do you what do you think about that <laughs> yeah basically reincarnation and the rest yeah i would agree with that view i mean yeah that's more like the Leibniz version of identity and stuff yeah so what does Leibniz say did you write it down yeah i did somewhere <laughs> Oh, yeah, his his version of... It, it's this, yeah, there is no soul, according to Leibniz or whatever. There's just one underlying substance that is the entirety of, like, existence. And it's, like, perfect in its own perfection, even in its imperfection or whatever. And, mm. 
and that is that is like God according to Leibniz, but it's also like the soul at the same time. So it's all part of the same like underlying fundamental force, I guess, for him. Yeah. That's basically God. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. And I, I think we should accentuate our main premise here that we were talking about earlier. This confluence between the particular and the aggregate or knowing and unknowing or yin and yang or positive and negative however you want to think about it this comfort with holding both of those frames right yeah for some reason we always want to draw like a delineation in our head between two things and then we're like no it has to be one or the other when it's like it can easily be both at the same time right and it almost always is and there's almost always exceptions yeah this is like what hegel mostly right well wrote about it was just always (laughs) showing these comparatives between things and showing that like they're you know that even though they're opposites of each other like they they both can exist and have to exist so it's like (laughs) anytime you think there's opposites that exist in the world like they're (laughs) they're they don't have to exclude each other (laughs) yeah well they actually it's the opposite they pre-require each other yeah exactly to to exist they require each other so it's like you know existence requires non-existence in order to exist (laughs) right and then i would specify it by saying that in a philosophical context we're dealing with thought and knowledge and so therefore there's two different types of knowing and this is nothing new again i'm going to quote jonathan perbakey and others but uh perspectival versus you know particular types of knowing so science would be the opposite of perspectival although scientists have to use their perspective right yeah but they're narrowing focus narrow focus narrow focus narrow focus what is the one thing that narrowing your focus lacks it's the big picture right yeah totally it's that integrating kind of function of being able to stand back and see it all for what it is and link it all together yeah definitely so that dualism exists within identity as well it's all upside yeah and for for that it's like the mind body dualism yeah i mean either that or like the soul and exterior world dualism like but there's lots of different dualisms that exist in that one <laughs> yeah but as far as identity goes well and then the whether whether your identity is constructed by yourself or whether your identity is constructed by society like it definitely is both (laughs) it has to be both yeah (laughs) it's a conversation it's a dialogue yeah definitely so all these philosophers are it's weird that they're always trying to draw such crazy distinctions and be so mutually exclusive with some of these ideas Mm. But they don't have to be mutually exclusive whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, well, it's both, right? Like, you have to be able to to cut away and pair together, or, you know, whatever, glue together at the same time. Yeah. And I've also heard in sciences, there's, like, there's like particulars and there's lumpers. There's certain thinkers who like to think about things in particulars, and then there's certain people who like to look at the aggregate. I would definitely put myself in the latter category. I... I'm not so good at narrow focus, but I think you are, which makes this whole thing rather um, cool. <laughs> There's a word, I lost it. Yeah, I'm good at narrowing focus down. But like I said, this is like what you do with philosophy classes, is you typically just take an idea and then you break it down to its fundamental parts, dissect it, and yeah, just talk about it, try to understand it. <laughs> and then out of that, you get something new yeah the synthesis yeah (laughs) that's the hope anyways this is my hope is through platonic dialogue we can reach some kind of hegelian synthesis yeah right yeah (laughs) and i guess what we're really trying to figure out is whether identity really exists or not or whether it's useful or not it exists in a different way so there's two different types for me at least there's two different types of truth um like i said there's the perspectival and then there's the particular and in a literal sense it's just an aggregate of patterns there's nothing really tangibly physical there um 
but in a figurative kind of metaphoric sense, um, we act out these stories and the stories are really important. And what story are you telling, you know, and <laughs> how do you, how do you want that story to go? I mean, that's, I've gone to workshops where we sit down and we design life. It's like lifestyle design. I mean, talk about stroking the ego. <laughs> I mean, clearly, like Ram Dass said, you got to become somebody before you become nobody. And you have to exist in the world and you have to make money and you have to eat and all that stuff. So clearly the ego, ego and identity is useful on that level. However, it's not all of who you are. And I would argue it's less of who you are than what's on the deeper levels. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, all those like ways that we typically define our identities are really, really surface level. Like, if you think about it, like they just typically are. It's like, how would I even describe myself? I just describe myself as a meat popsicle. <laughs> well, right now you're you're a uh, grower. I mean, I guess technically you're not doing it right now, but you're in the process. Yeah, of... I own a commercial cannabis farm, so right. I'm a weed grower. I can identify as that. Right. So that's your job, at least. Most people usually identify as their job right up there on the list. <laughs> but it's clearly not who you are on a deep level, nor is it the more important part of who you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I guess how else could I ask for myself? A pothead, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but th that comes with like connotations that I'm lazy or something, which definitely isn't the case. So it's like... Which is part of the problem with identities. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a rock climber. Like, I definitely love fitness a lot. So there's like... There's parts of those that I identify with, but that's still like not fundamentally who I am. Like I'm a nice person, <laughs> I'm caring and giving, <laughs> but my real identity I think boils down to just the lived experiences I've had. Those define me infinitely more than like the mundane bullshit I do day to day. Right, and that's part of what makes you so unique. Yeah. And the term uniqueness implies individuality and self yeah which we are all unique which is why i think like identity is so silly because it's like you lump yourself into this category and it's like uh okay did did all the people in this category have the same lived experience like of course they didn't like that's not that's not possible <laughs> so i guess we can't avoid it at this point but right away what comes up for me is identity in the context of race and groups yeah definitely i mean and this is what foucault wrote about like saying that basically identity was like a social construct used to <laughs> basically to pit people against each other and then manipulate them and control them. Which, which is partly true, but not the whole story. Yeah, definitely not the whole story. Especially since it's with like group identities, it's not like, usually they're constructed by the group. Like, like the group is the one who constructed it. So it wasn't like they, they constructed the group so that they would intentionally infight or whatever they did right. it because they wanted to identify with a group <laughs> yeah human beings are social primates and we have to identify with groups or we perish yeah so it's a matter of which groups do you identify with and how how tightly do you hold that identity i really think that's the key clearly we're a part of groups clearly it's okay to identify as such and such it's just how how intense do you hold it yeah. We got to take a pause. Battery, battery died. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How the fuck did that happen so quick? <laughs> pause. <laughs> this is going really well. <laughs> yeah, I'm still getting in the flow of things. Don't up. worry about it, man. It's going to take a while. <laughs> yeah. Just try to be in the moment. <laughs> Percent, baby. All right, let's go. We're back. All right, here, let me Do you have to go pee? I'm gonna grab some water. Oh, damn it. Oh, whatever. I'm recording. I think it's fine. Even if it's multiple, I can edit it. <laughs> okay. It's actually better if it's just one clip, it'll be easier. Whoa. I gotta get a new mic stand. This thing's broken as fuck. <laughs> I'll probably edit this all out now. 
it's okay. I'm also kind of ignorant on how it works. I think it goes like that. And we're back. I love that you have notes and I'm totally not prepared. <laughs> All right. So anyhow, yeah, getting into basically how most people view the philosophy on identity these days, which is uh, identity politics, which is <laughs> what identity's definitely evolved into. <laughs> and that, I, like I said, I think it's like identity taken to extremes. I think it can be detrimental. <laughs> Mostly because it just divides people. I think any identity that you take to like too crazy of extreme winds up dividing people, right? Just on baseline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I stand by my point that it's essential, but um, taken too far. I mean, even if you were to like over-identify as like a skateboarder or something. Exactly. And, and like you're skating in a place you shouldn't be and people get mad at you and so you start a fight. I don't know, I'm just... <laughs> That's a good example. Ideas of getting over attached to an identity. <laughs> That's a good example of how identity is negotiated with society. Because what is part of what a skater is is defined by where and how he skates. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And if they're pissing off a bunch of people from the non-skater group, then it's going to cause a bunch of infighting, and then that's bad. <laughs> so, but we need to address the elephant in the room, which is subjugated or oppressed groups yeah definitely which they definitely exist and there are lots of marginalized groups so, so in that sense identity is important for them and for all of us yeah and, and it is i mean for them but at the same time it's i think it just causes a shitload of infighting plus it makes people focus on the wrong issues i think that's what foucault would argue is that like you know, when you're sitting there arguing about, you know, dumb ideologies, like differences in skin color or whatever, like being a white supremacist asshole or whatever, like, then you're missing the bigger pictures, which is like systemic violence or, you know, systemic poverty or lack of education that creates white supremacy in the first place. Like, right. you wind up missing like the, the main issue which needs to get solved. <laughs> Plus the fact that we're already one to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, we need to adopt a more, like, humanistic perspective on identity, in my opinion. So, symptom, symptomologically, why do you think it's happening now so much? Why do you think identity politics is a thing? I mean, I think with the Trump presidency, it got super inflamed, but it was also building up to that. I mean, I guess Trump was almost just a byproduct of it building up for so long, but it's just... People over-identifying with groups and then taking massive offense to anything anyone says about anything and being right, way why? overly offended, playing a victim constantly. Like, But why? <laughs> why are they doing that? Uh, probably because they just want their voices heard. I mean, that's that's got to be the bottom line. It's just these groups have been marginalized for a long time. They feel like they haven't had their voices heard and they, they feel like it's overdue. So, I mean, I, I get it from that regard. <laughs> yeah, but it seems to be not just marginalized groups it seems to be almost everybody right this is the problem i think partly with yeah that. you're right i guess everyone's gotten just louder i guess maybe it's the internet <laughs> yeah i mean that that's that's part of the amplifying effect of these things is these things have probably been going on forever we just hear about it more yeah and their voices <laughs> are just way made way more heard i mean i guess yeah. the algorithm like promotes you know, stuff that causes infighting, basically. It's the most inflammatory yes. things you say are the ones that are going to get the most clicks, so... I don't think there's as much divisiveness as the internet might lead you to believe. I think you're totally right. I think people do want to talk a lot more than, yeah. than the internet would ever lead anyone to believe. <laughs> and this whole, if you think about it, I'm just realizing now, this whole identity fixation, one of the cliches you can talk about is, remember the vegan thing? How everybody would tell you were, they were vegan? That's kind of gone down a bit too. So maybe this obsession with identities is cooling off a bit. I would... Well, that's because I think the vegans realized they were pissing everyone off. <laughs> like, because. I bet just more out of personal. Life. <laughs> yeah. 
but you mean day to day personal level, you know, like I'm trying to reflect on <laughs> on which identities people have been pushing on me, and actually now that I think about it, they are quite pushy on many aspects, <laughs> on politics and beliefs, and yeah. conspiracy theories and whatever else. I think it, it speaks to the meaning crisis and this fundamental lack of purpose, direction, meaning, and value in people's lives, right? So the best way to find that, one of the best ways to find that is in some specific group, and then you got community, and then you got you got a meaning in life. My meaning in life is this, you know? Yeah. And that's the issue with identity. You can fully do that, and you should. You should commit yourself to something and be responsible, but you should hold it lightly, because deeper, we're all soul, God, love, connected. We're not these divisive groups. But on a human level, we are, and we have to negotiate that constantly. I would argue the U.S. has done a great job of negotiating identity. I mean, fuck, that's like the whole point of our country is like, be who you want to be, worship who you want to worship, you know, we're not going to bug you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, which is a fantastic thing. <laughs> yeah. So I, again, I just don't think it's as bad as everybody makes it out to be, but it it is bad in the sense that it's it's this meaning crisis so it's like this psychological kind of void um philosophical psychological psycho spiritual void yeah well and then the other problem is that like once you get super hell-bent on these like identities and the and the philosophies associated with them you like will not hear the other side's arguments about anything ever and that yeah the echo chamber effect becomes really really bad so it's like yeah you over identify well and it's like kind of a slippery slope you know you you like embrace the identity of one group and then you slowly embrace their ideologies and then you get indoctrinated and then and then boom. <laughs> yeah, it has a totalizing effect, and you kind of have to take all of it, or you, or you think you have to take all of it, but in reality, you can just kind of glean the positive aspects of whatever ideology you're functioning with, and then hopefully move on. Well, or at least listen to the other side of every argument. That's what we'd encourage on this podcast. Listen to the other side of every single argument. Always, always, always check the other side of the argument because yeah. confirmation bias is a thing. Like, and, and yeah, just because some dude said it on the internet does not mean he is correct. <laughs> it also doesn't mean he, there's no truth there, I think. <laughs> I think our, our bullshit meters are better than we give them credit for and uh we should trust our instincts and our intuitions and but also you know go back to to socrates and and know that you don't know yeah um, know that the world is combinatorially explosive and it's super complex and you're almost always wrong um that doesn't mean that truth can't be known it just means you got to come at it from a bunch of different angles yeah gotta triangulate yeah <laughs> so watch out for those echo chambers associated with group identities yeah, because say, they can be really destructive <laughs> in a buddhist sense it's really silly for me to even say i'm a rock climber on this on that because um, what i do in a daily practice is practice non-being but obviously you can't go walking around like that <laughs> i have to say i i mean even to try to change my language and not use words like I and stuff, it's very difficult <laughs> to function, you know, so you kind of have to just play on that level when you do, but just realize that there's way more to the picture, and if you sit down and you pay attention, you don't dissolve the ego, you transcend it because you understand it more, and then you can use it better. You can use your identity to serve you rather than you serving your identity yeah right that's kind of a deep point think about it if you subscribe to an ideology it's almost like now you have to do all these things even if it's not good for you as an individual <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> and you're not a specific thing you're you're many things yeah yeah plus when you assume group identity ah! <laughs> sorry when you assume group identities we'll you definitely start skirting responsibility and play the victim typically it's it's bad 
God, that, that startled me. <laughs> we'll edit it out. Don't worry. <laughs> um, I kind of want to talk about the psychological levels. Or do you do you have more notes? Do you want to keep going? You had notes? Yeah. Well, what was your uh, your quote? The quote I wanted you to write down. Remember? Did I write down? It was a Hegel one, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> identity is the identity of identity and non-identity. <laughs> say, say it in the mic again. <laughs> okay. Identity is the identity of identity and non-identity. Quote from Hegel. <laughs> Um, so yeah, in, in Buddhism, they talk a lot about, um, kind of like two different approaches to something, knowing something within and knowing it without, or knowing it internally and knowing it externally. And that, again, this is just reflecting what we've said already is identity is both decided by you and by others. Yeah. It's the individual and the many. It's in order for something to exist, it has to exist in reference to other things. Without definition and distinction, you have a uniform void, which is nothing. So the second you have distinction, it gives you the ability to have something. So categories, identity, all these things have to exist just by the nature's, nature of the universe. And, um, yeah, as soon as non-identity exists, well, then, according to Hegel, identity has to exist. Exactly. <laughs> and the higher thing is to know that it exists and it doesn't exist at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So we, I guess we don't need to hammer that home anymore. Um, <laughs> I know that's a hard thing for people to understand, but um, I really think it's crucial to kind of modern philosophy and pushing things forward is... Being, being comfortable existing on this edge of knowing something and not knowing it and um, realizing that there's two different ways to know things. And the second way is kind of what we're doing now. It's a dialogic kind of process where we're literally creating new ideas in the moment on the fly, synthesizing uh, new thoughts. But, uh, anything else? <laughs> um, yeah, I'd just say people just need to ditch their narrow views of identity. Like, the things you do and the groups that you subscribe to, like, don't make you the person you are. I would say that identity is just solely all of the experiences that you've slowly collected over the course of your life. I think Hume would kind of agree with that. It's which is why it's always changing and shifting and why you're always, you know, picking up and dropping off parts of your personality. And yeah. I would say that that is how I view identity. <laughs> Mostly that we're just a product of our environment. Yeah, for the most part. <laughs> But that also creates some dangers because if we are a product of our environment, then you know you can assume the wrong identities, and you got to be really careful about that. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not fast in stone. You can be born somewhere and choose choose otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Just because you're born in you know some <laughs> radical religious faction in <laughs> some terrorist country doesn't mean you have to join up. Like, <laughs> but. But if you assume that identity, you very well would. So, yeah, just, yeah, be careful with identities. <laughs> it's better just to be a human. Identify as a human. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to stand by what I said in, um, in the Buddhist frame of right thought and right speech and right action. And um, try not to reify, reify, whatever the word is. Try not to practice being one thing or another because um, it's only going to limit you and ultimately it's going to disintegrate and it's going to let you down um, what won't let you down is is just being existence apparently we're eternal as eternal as stardust can be and um, 
understanding those parts of us, those identities and where we were born, our cultural groups, our ideologies, they're all useful, but they can be deleterious if they're not understood. Just like anything else, if you don't understand it, it can cause harm. So get to know yourself and you'll get to know your identity and uh, be able to transcend it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much how I feel. I wanted to talk more about um, psychology and the context of identity um, just a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, totally. But um, just because of the, uh, the, the fractal kind of multiplicity that goes on inside of us on a psychological level and we're more of a house divided rather than united and there's a bunch of different voices in us that demand to be heard you know if you're hungry you can't talk philosophy for instance and uh, it has a totalizing effect on you so we aren't as unified as we like to think we are and unfortunately I think most of modern society is quite disjointed subconsciously and unconsciously internally as far as all these voices are concerned. I think our culture forces us to suppress certain voices more than the other. and We kind of pendulum back and forth between these extremes of suppression and, um, and then uh, expression back and forth, back and forth. And it makes it really hard to manage all of those different voices. Um, but again, if you get quiet and you listen through contemplative practice, through conversation like this, through therapy, um, the voices can be heard. I don't think they should be considered literal voices <laughs> unless uh, you're going through something, but um, they are impulses and they are desires that require attention. And perhaps part of the pathology around identity is when you suppress those desires, they find a way and they'll find a way in something else. And don't think that it's not going to happen and don't think that one person's manifestation, say religion or something like that, or, you know, clogging or rock climbing, um, don't say that that's not valid. Um, it's just a manifestation of their identity that they're trying to figure out. And um, that's it. Through, through not understanding comes transcendence. I highly recommend reading Jung and Freud so that you can understand the, the dark insides a little more. Um, and yeah, just talk to your subconscious get into a dialogue with your subconscious and, um, and then you can integrate these voices in a much healthier way. Um, yeah. <laughs> what do you think of that? Sorry, I just went off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think a lot of inner psychological turmoil caused by people these days is like because of a crisis of identity. Mm. And I think that's... <laughs> That's affecting a lot Who of people. Who am I? Yeah, a lot of people can't grab onto any identity, so they don't have anything to grasp to. And I guess, you know, up until recently, you always had the identity of, like, I'm typically a Christian or whatever religious denomination was around at the time. But up until recently, pretty much all people identified as that, as, like, their number one identity. That was their first identity. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Time. Yeah, and that, like, that's... Like, if you're like me, who's agnostic, then then yeah, that part of your identity is gone. And so there is a bit of a crisis of identity and meaning associated with that one because then how do you morally conduct yourself in a world when you don't have you know that, religion? That impulse is there. That religious impulse is there no matter what you do. You're going to use it in other ways. Like we're doing it right now. Like this is a religious impulse, I would argue. Yeah, to pursue philosophy. Well, I pursue yeah. philosophy instead of religion, but yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's going to express itself. And I, I think that's part of it. You don't have to put it under the rubric of religion. It can be whatever the heck else you want to define it as. To me, it's just embodied practice of one form or another. And you're right. To the degree that you have 
a healthy defined well it's hard to say what's healthy what's healthy defined identity for me is different for someone else yeah i mean i'd rather what i'd prefer to define myself as is a good person like that that would be the the ideal <laughs> that i'm shooting for <laughs> right but good has to be defined within a context of yeah exactly like treats others well like has Which my is shit together is a contributing role. member to society <laughs> basically christianity <laughs> yeah, yeah so that's but okay hinduism we, too or Buddhism, yeah totally or so many of the other religions well, preach the same thing so which proves my point that there's knowledge there yeah but just you know be nice to people i mean kind of the old golden rule just treat people how you want to be treated <laughs> yeah it's love really yeah it's pretty fundamental yeah let's say we were saying earlier that like well i was saying that if you make the proposition that someone is worth loving and if you can simultaneously entertain the idea that we're all connected then it doesn't make sense to not love yourself yeah because it's the same thing so how is it that we treat things so differently clearly a part of it's functional i can't love this chair as much as i love my dog <laughs> you know but i would argue that there's a spectrum there and you can exist on that spectrum of care and attention and love and uh the more you do that the more you practice that mode of being and I would say that that's, that's the one identity I want to be is, is uh, Christ-like, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean... And that's part of the value of these mythologies and traditions is to give us a symbol to shoot for. Yeah, totally. The, the ideal identity, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, the ideal identity would be just to be a good fucking human being. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a spectrum there because you can be like Mother Teresa or you can be like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm interested in like how far can you take that? Like, is it possible to really love everybody equally? And I think part of that is deeply intertwined with identity because the less, and I experience this, the less I think about myself, the easier it is to, it's almost like you're identifying with the other. And I guess in that sense, identity breaks down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you can identify with everyone, then like identity breaks down for sure. Mm. At least in your experience. Again, I, I speak in I and I experience things in first person. But I do think there's something to be said for the way that you practice it and think about it and talk about it with others, you know. Um, just trying not to reify this sense of like, me, 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 me. Um, however you can get out of your head. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, social media has basically turned everyone right. into narcissists these it's days. It's so, so dangerous. Like, so much of people's identity right now is probably online. I think that's that's a huge component of identity these days, which up Definitely. until recently was not something you had to worry about. <laughs> right. Whole brand new psychological phenomenon well, that we have to deal with. <laughs> it's that same like ego layer. It's just like we can like amplify it now. Yeah, exactly. And instead of just like twenty people knowing me, thousands of people know me. Yeah. Which is weird. <laughs> yeah, social media is a trip. <laughs> it's I embrace technology for what it is, and I try. I'm not going to pretend that I'm good at controlling it because I'm not. But I try to see the deleterious effects for what they are and only use it for its strength and yeah uh, you better believe it's going to matter for this podcast so <laughs> yeah it's true we're doing <laughs> shit on social media i mean i'm not gonna i'm gonna add to my list of things i need to post i'm not gonna <laughs> knock it too much but i think it is turning a lot of people into narcissists so again I... awareness awareness. <laughs> awareness yeah like a lot of people's identity has become very self-centered <laughs> I guess I guess the identity a lot of people have assumed is I'm perfect, like and that's that's well, no, a weird so identity to have. <laughs> through reifying your identity, you perhaps lead. So what is that? So what is it about the Instagram model, so to speak, that um, turns you into a narcissist? I mean, it's just that endless need for perfection. Yeah, but it takes a normal person and turns them into a narcissist, so to speak. 
Um, I mean, clearly it's going to attract narcissists. Well, I mean, it's it's so much of that dopamine hit when you're getting all those likes and stuff. So it's like, right. I think... So they, it warps your perception of reality because you're getting too much positive feedback. Yeah, exactly. And not enough real-world negative feedback. Yeah, exactly. Which then I think forces you to just constantly exude this aura and image of being perfect all the time and having your shit together all the time. And, oh, look at me in Cancun, and my life's perfect, and my boyfriend's perfect, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, to me, I, of course, justify it by saying <laughs> I, it's like a, it's totally like an art project for me, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's like life is art. I take pride in how it looks. I take pride in creating content. I like editing videos. I like editing photos. I like taking photos. <laughs> I like going to nature. I like showing my family pictures. You know, there's so many good things there. I've met people. I've networked. I've gone on dates. I've changed my life by meeting my best friend. You know, like there's lots of crazy positives that come along with it. I think it's just like any other disruptive technology. It's going to be dangerous and you've got to watch out. Yeah, totally. Gunpowder, you know, all the way back, printing press, when it, cotton gin, however you want to frame it. Well, I'm saying like the just the identity that people have assumed, especially on Instagram and stuff, is that their their lives are perfect. So then, when their lives aren't perfect and something bad actually happens yeah, so in their real life, there's a crisis of identity because they're like, "Oh no, my life's not perfect," and then their whole reality crumbles. And it's just like so again, we're we're full circle back to identity because in in my experience, I I hesitate to pontificate about what others experience. I think that's a fallacy, but um, in my experience. I feel this FOMO kind of feeling of like everybody's life is super cool and mine kind of sucks. Yeah, exactly. But I don't really feel a need to like to show off or to like warp what I'm posting. I mean, I'll edit it so it looks good. That's purely artistic. And I don't think it's it's necessarily bad to revel and remember your positive experiences. No, it's not bad. Yeah. Um, but the personal psychology of like <laughs> all the attention in my experience that's I don't have that much success yet so it's hard to say but when I do have ex- in the beginning I noticed the dopamine hit I was like wow this is dangerous um, now what I notice is that I like constantly check it I'm like obsessive about how many likes I get which I guess is like a dopamine thing. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and then in the morning, if I try not to look at it in the morning, but if I do, I feel that kind of FOMO thing. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so yeah, we're, we're all playing with our identity in kind of a fundamental way. And I think part of the problem is, is it's like... Well, we're putting it on display for the whole world to see. It's, it's like we, we, cur- we curated our identities yeah, and, and condensed go. it into this like perfect little package to present to the world and it's like yeah. I think it's kind of silly personally <laughs> it's, it's, no you're right it is super dangerous and <laughs> my friend Patrick put it the best way he's like I can't do it because I would spend too, too much time trying to make my profile perfect and that was like a really good example of like how it's dangerous because you're not existing in the real world you're, no that's become, that's become your new identity <laughs> you, you're existing in a digital world I, I would argue that it can you can strike a balance and still exist in the real world and clearly i feel like i'm still connected but i have a pretty extreme balance because of meditation and stuff i i don't i think most people are fully in the dream all day every day Um, yeah but i definitely look at it way too much (laughs) i'm hoping it's going to grow my business and help me have this identity so that i can lose it which is pretty hilarious, but <laughs> <laughs> have enough so that I can lose it all, <laughs> right? Because I still got to survive, but um, definitely the goal is to um, gain control over the identity, over the self. Yeah. <laughs> see it for what it is um so yeah that psychological subconscious and then um i wanted to talk about the mirror like nature of the soul and how really we're only well we're we're defined by this two-part process of going off and doing our own thing 
and kind of like building up material to be and building up experiences and you come back to the community and you kind of like integrate it all and that like is who you are right so that's why if you're alone all the time you go crazy <laughs> and if you're like me and you're around people all the time you also go crazy right <laughs> so there's this two-part process of like doing things and and like building yourself and again we're, i'm just proving the point again you know like deciding who you want to be i mean i've literally sat down and like who do i want to be blah 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 and the crazy thing is is you can do that I climbed mountains for long enough and at some point you're a climber and I don't think that's bad I think it's kind of like a badge that we can hold up <laughs> humans like badges are like I did this thing you know what I mean yeah uh, but it's not permanent so then you gotta like drop it go do something else <laughs> keep going yeah yeah I just I've never really held any identities like really not that much to heart like not, yeah. not really like I know a lot of people that really cling to that shit, but I've never really clung to any kind of identity. That's healthy. Like, I just... I don't know, which was always weird, because I always had problems defining myself. <laughs> I guess for a long time I was a burner. That is someone who goes to Burning Man. That's not someone with an STD. Let's make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so... But yeah, that... But yeah, I can't define myself like that anymore, so... I think it's I'm just Just a human being trying to do good in the world <laughs> hopefully <laughs> I, I think that's really healthy to uh um to practice not being a part of groups it sounds weird to say though because clearly it's ne necessary for some situations yeah i don't know i i just never liked group identities anyways they always kind of creep me out Whenever like whenever like a huge crowd's like doing something in unison and shit and they're like trying to get me I'm like I don't fucking trust it. I don't want to do it, man. I don't I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Just gives me the fucking willies. Yeah, this yeah. is why like God, first time I went to a Catholic mass, I'm like Ugh, fucking got to keep standing up and sitting down. To quit ordering me around and making me guilty. I feel all guilty as shit. <laughs> I wonder why that is. It's like you you just don't like groups. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I just don't like that group think shit like uh, yeah i don't know you're more of an independent thinker i think it yeah i was just always a critical thinker i'm if a, if a group's saying something i'm like questioning it i'm like oh, i think you guys are full of shit <laughs> yeah i like that about you you're, you're a questioner i'm a rebel that's a good that's a good match yeah my mom tried to instill critical thinking in me in a pretty young age <laughs> which is a good thing thanks mom but I do think it's positive to be about a part of groups. Yeah, I think so too. You although, although me by by really not identifying as any kind of group, I'm so like fluid that I can just like fit in with most groups. Right. So it's like there's a benefit to that. Like that's what I would argue the Buddhist approach is. It makes you more adaptable, not less. Yeah, and it's probably because I moved around so much as a kid too. But it made me very fluid in groups. Like it's just easy for me to fit in with most people. But again, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty open-minded, so it's like yeah. I'm not gonna like rip people apart or like cause a bunch of infighting by holding like some crazy political fucking view to like so so firmly that it just causes everyone to be pissed off. Like that's that's a good way to <laughs> to yeah bar yourself from meeting a bunch of people who might have had some good ideas and you didn't hear them because you were too busy being a dick <laughs> yeah no totalizing limiting beliefs is not really helpful yeah and this is the main problem with identity politics i guess when it when it all boils down to the end of the day is the censorship thing well, that's my issue with most of it it's just that once when a group identifies and they start trying to censor all the other groups, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I think we should have more of a separation with our with our government and ideologies. Yeah, which they tried to write into the constitution and shit. I would argue it's still there, and I'm not worried. I think our country is strong, and we've been through battles like this probably worse. The Civil War was obviously worse. Yeah. I'm just, you should never ban anyone for holding an idea that's not yours. Even if it's a terrible idea, even if it is whatever. It doesn't matter what the idea is. You shouldn't ban any kind of speech ever yeah, for any reason. The best way to 
fight up a bad ideas with a better idea. Yeah, exactly. And how are you going to disprove the bad idea if you won't like let them talk about it so that you can disprove it? Like you need them to present the idea and then you need to beat it with logic. <laughs> yeah. Like and beat it with good ideas. That's yeah, how you beat so, bad ideas. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's a good place to close. I mean, that's like the whole point of this podcast in my opinion is is the dialogue. Yeah. And that is clearly <laughs> the answer to all these identity issues and and a lot of our cultural and societal issues is just talk to people i mean when you talk to the other side it'll blow your mind just how like you they really are and how these identities and these ideologies are really sometimes unhelpful yeah and possibly preventing people from like you know learning more about the world <laughs> Also, Definitely. we might get canceled for this. <laughs> I don't care. I'm, uh, I'm on your side, lefties. <laughs> I support all groups and all people. I really, yeah. I really love. I love everybody. all human beings. So, like, yeah, let's just all be human beings. <laughs> I support the righties too. <laughs> Even if you're a little weird and different than me, I love you all. <laughs> yeah, we love all people here. Doesn't yeah. matter political affiliation <laughs> or whatever. Doesn't matter your yeah, philosophical ideology. <laughs> we <Sweet>. love all people. <laughs> yeah, we just had to do a little disclaimer there at the end. <laughs> we love everybody. <laughs> I, I hope people realize what we're trying to do and uh dialectic is hard and dialogue is hard and uh we're doing our best. <laughs> all right. Let's end it. First all podcast. Right. Hey, first podcast. <laughs>